This is a Rooster Teeth production. The modern day funeral industry capitalizes on stigmas about death, creating a deliberate air of mystery and secrecy around how funeral homes operate. Well, we're opening the casket wide and taking a peek inside. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we investigate topics in history of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Wasami. Every once in a while, a thread will pop up somewhere on the internet wherein one intrepid online sleuth will dare to ask their digital compatriots something along the lines of, funeral home workers, undertakers, morticians, what's your strangest or creepiest story? Read through one of those threads and you'll find stories that run the gambit from creepy to bizarre to nauseating to unbelievable. Yes, which isn't to say that all of the stories are so grisly. Some can be funny or even life-affirming, like one about a great aunt who asked to be buried in her 100 Jazzercise <laughs> Classes Taken t-shirt. <laughs> yes, yep. Um, but not all stories are so whimsical. There are dozens of stories from funeral directors that will make your skin crawl. Mm -hmm. I've seen a few coincidental stories about people preparing bodies, then turning their backs to the preparation table only to look back and discover the body they were working on is now sitting upright. <laughs> Chills. Uh, there are stories from morticians who reportedly got trapped inside morgues during hurricanes and had to move bodies from the basement freezers to higher ground due to flooding. The, the water log will get you. <laughs> and whether these stories are truthful, legitimate, or exaggerated, people are more than happy to oblige with their most gruesome and shocking tales from the crypt or crypt adjacent. And people are even more eager to read them, like us. Yep, people like <laughs> us. Like us. These kinds of threads and posts always have a lot of upvotes and engagement for probably some of the reasons that you're listening to this podcast today. Yeah, chalk it up to a morbid curiosity or just online thrill-seeking in the same way that you might enjoy a good campfire ghost story. But when people seek out these kinds of stories, they're getting a firsthand, unfiltered level of insight and a private peek behind the curtain to a taboo industry, one that tiptoes around the uncomfortable subject of death. Mm -hmm. Mainly because the industry, by design and for profit, has groomed and conditioned the modern Western world to avoid the topic of death. But not us, Elise. <laughs> no, not us. we're going in headfirst. The genesis of this uh, podcast always. was really, I was like, I'm reading all these threads online. I need an outlet and someone to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you, you just love it so much. <laughs> I do. And I think, um, I think, Jessica, I have a hunch that you are, have learned to love all this as well. Beyond just your own natural curiosity. I do. I, I have. It's made me expand my brain in ways that uh, I never thought would happen before. And I'm very thankful I'm learning all this stuff. And honestly, I know we've talked about this many times on the podcast, but it does come up in conversation. And <laughs> I love just being like, well, here's my handy yeah. dandy book of facts I know. <laughs> but it's only morbid stuff. <laughs> only, I'm like, what's it, that Debbie Downer from SNL? I just yeah. keep bringing in like awful morbid <laughs> death facts to people. <laughs> no, yeah, but 
As we've talked about on this podcast many times, death hasn't always been historically taboo. Yeah. When death, yeah, when death was prevalent and happened in the home, as in people died in their homes and wakes were held there, and even portions of the funeral ceremony, it infiltrated everyday culture and informed the way people lived and conducted their lives. Death was a discussion almost from birth. In this episode of the podcast, we are reopening this long-lost post-mortem conversation and pulling back the black lace mourning veil, so to speak. We're covering the secrets and practices you may not know go on within the funeral industry and within funeral homes and mortuaries um, that are preparing bodies. Okay, Elise, let's start with how a body gets to a funeral home or morgue. Gotcha, gotcha. It's an Ford Model T hearse, right? No. Wait, so you're telling me it's not the Munster coach? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, okay. Then it's got to be Grandpa's Dragula coffin car. Also not that. You're right. I think that's in a Planet Hollywood storage room. <laughs> or actually, I think I do think at one point Grandpa's Dragula coffin car was hanging from a ceiling in a Planet Hollywood. Was it? In the, in the heyday of Planet Hollywood. <laughs> I love them from uh, Planet Hollywood. Yeah. Um, but no, the secret whip of the funeral director is actually a minivan. You wouldn't think, what? but yes, the right of choice for soccer moms and dads everywhere. And not so coincidentally, the dead. Mm-hmm. Hearses are purely ceremonial. And for the monsters, they're used for funeral processions and just flat out tradition. If they were actually used to get bodies every day from point A to B, we would just see a ton of hearses driving around town. <laughs> And you'd no, be like, yeah. there's a body, there's a body, there's a body. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The actual transportation is much more discreet and stealthy, hence the vans. And it's referred to as the first call as it's used in the first call made to pick up and move a body. The Chrysler Pacifica, it might surprise you or it might not, is among the first call vans used to transport remains. And like other van models it makes used, there are companies who will kind of like trick out these vans, like... Like they customize. Yeah, it's like exhibit shows up and is like, <laughs> you know, I heard you like first call vans. So we put a metal deck in your car in your car so you can put urns on it. Perfect. Um, but yeah, it's all they take these vans and then they customize them for a funeral director's needs. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, these these needs usually include a metal deck or rig that can accommodate stretchers, a casket, flower carts, or ways to securely transport urns. Sometimes the vans even have removable panels for easier access. Mm -hmm. Imagine just pulling up next to one of these in like bumper to bumper traffic and you look over and you're like, that's an interesting car. What do they got it going on in the back there? Yeah, what's what's going on back there? When a body arrives at a funeral home, it's generally cleaned and shrouded, then placed in a refrigerated storage in advance of the embalming and preparation process. And here's the thing. Most bodies, if refrigerated properly, can sustain well enough that they could theoretically be presented at an open casket viewing, but this would negate the purpose of embalming. Oh, I don't know if I... I feel like, uh, I don't know. I feel like, no, we need the embalming. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's, that's so interesting. industry has made you think that, Jess. You're right. You're right. Uh. Because I it's it's made you think like this is the only uh, pristine way to be doing this. Which you know? is so strange and weird in its own right. Because like when you're looking at the body, you know, in an open casket, it's like, well, they're dead. Why do they look alive? You know, should they 
be refrigerated, you know, that they would be black and blue, I would assume, I, you know? Yeah. And also, like, you're thinking, like, you're preparing this body to be preserved, but then it's just going to go into the ground immediately. Yeah, you're it's right. Really it's just to help us with death. But yes, which is, you know, it's one of the the paramount functions of a mortician, at least with Western world, where embalmings become seemingly vital part of the funeral process as a means of, you know, staving off decomposition and decay as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Why is a bigger question, but yeah. There's this sentiment that this is a final caring act for the deceased and customary, especially if you're doing open casket viewings, but this is not the case worldwide. Embalming, while it finds its earliest roots in other parts of the world like Egypt, is not really practiced at all in most countries beyond the U.S., Canada, and I think maybe New Zealand for some reason. Um, It's become a distinctly American practice, and in that respect, one that's perpetuated not just by stigmas and beliefs, but because there's an industry that wholly profits from it. While there are certain rules and laws that apply to handling of dead bodies, it varies geographically across the U.S., and there's no federal law mandating that all human remains be embalmed. That being said, many funeral homes and mortuaries require it if you're looking to hold an open casket funeral and won't do so for you otherwise. Which is fascinating because it's like they know. They know that this body will keep, so it's like an upsell and upcharge in a sense, to do that. And yeah, it is interesting when you go and you kind of read about, maybe we'll do an episode someday about how other countries, or we definitely will, like inter their dead and treat dead bodies because, yeah, it, it is interesting to read about, especially like colder countries where heat is not an issue versus warm temperature countries where it is. <laughs> like, oh, See, I didn't even think about that. That's, yeah. yeah. It's pretty fascinating. <sighs> But here in the good old United States of America, attending funeral directors and physicians must check for and report uh, contagious or communicable diseases that a body could potentially carry, um, which makes sense because probably you're handling a lot of dead bodies. What might the cause of death be? A disease. So Mm -hmm. that seems like a no brainer that you would want to make sure that's not something that could be passed to someone preparing the body or viewing the body. Totally. In some states like California, New Hampshire, and Tennessee, there are no preservation time requirements for remains. Yeah, just, you know, chill. Yep. <laughs> it's chill. <laughs> in, in other states, such as Florida, Delaware, and Colorado, a body must be embalmed or refrigerated after 24 hours. And then there are situations where certain states like Alabama require a body to be embalmed if it's going to be transported out of state unless it's being used for medical research. We won't be getting into the minutia of the embalming process today. That's probably a topic for a whole other episode. But we will be talking about some of the unusual practices of body preparation that you might be surprised to hear happen. And maybe at the same time, we can dispel a myth or two. Starting with one of the most egregious ones, no, it is not a common custom to break a tall person's legs to fit them in the casket. <laughs> oh, which is like, I'm sorry, but it's such a funny, it's like, get the shin splitter. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, Larry's, yeah. Larry played basketball. Yeah. Um, yeah. If a body is too tall, a mortician will find a casket that's larger Maybe in some very extreme situations, a corpse will need to be slightly bent at the knee joint to accommodate. But yeah, they're not like breaking legs, though. 
you know, I have read tons of stories online about how morticians are like, yeah, if, if bodies come to us and they have broken bones and stuff, or we need to make certain things work, we will, uh, practice an, an aggressive, uh, adjustment to the bodies. An and, aggressive adjustment. Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering like maybe back in the day, way back in the day that they had to do that. Cause they just didn't think, Oh, we'll just make a bigger casket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Or you just, you, yeah, you had to bury someone who was like, you lived in a small town mm-hmm. and they, they were the only person there that was like seven feet tall. Yeah. The only one. Yeah. Yeah. So one uh-huh. story became myth, which somehow became, uh, you know, common practice, which isn't, isn't the case. Which, yeah. yeah. Um, but even after the embalming process, if a body is still not looking lifelike enough, the mortuary schools teach color theory and stage lighting, really not unlike what we actually use in film production. Yeah, it's really interesting because <laughs> I'm like, of course, our industries would run parallel. Of course. The morticians and the producers. <laughs> uh, colored gels over lights like you would use on a film set and rose colored bulbs cast a more warm hue. So they put these in funeral homes uh, so that way they add a artificial coloring to the entire room or if they're directed just at the corpse and they give more of a of a warmth. And then there's formaldehyde, which in itself is a warm, rosy dye and you can inject into a body to kind of give it like a hue facelift. You know, I've only been to one open casket in my life and I didn't look at everything like I would now after, you know, this episode. But next time I go to one, I will be, you know, looking at all these things and taking it all in. I've been to a lot of open casket funerals and more so when I was younger, but now I regret not taking notes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'll be doing. Just take, huh. Should have been studying. I should have should have known that I would have had a podcast 20 years later. But. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there are some situations where morticians need to employ a certain level of um, finesse to breathe life into the corpse. Mm-hmm. Or maybe just make them stay the fuck put. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, morticians use serrated plastic eye caps to keep eyes closed since the natural tendency is to pop open the eyelid to pull back. Do we know why? I mean, I think it's just it's rigor mortis and then also just gravity and the, you know, the muscle in the eye that still exists makes so it interesting. pull back. Mm. It also is the case for the mouth, which I suppose like when you don't have that tension in your jaw, you know, a corpse will just slack jaw. Mm-hmm. So there are similar tact-like devices that can be used for the mouth or lips, but morticians will also like suture the mouth shut. They'll use a needle and thread or like a needle injector machine to do this. And there's a whole... You can, I mean, you can find diagrams online. Oh, yep. That's what I'll be doing as soon as we're done here. Shockingly, super glue is an invisible tool used to disguise needle marks, keep eyes and lips closed, and even keep hands folded together. Okay. <laughs> Love yeah. that. Good old super glue. Hey, just need to head over to Home Depot real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I bet. I bet. Like, funeral home directors... They go to stores like Home Depot and they're getting supplies and stuff like where there are stores online where there are specifically for mortuaries that sell products. But probably in a pinch, you're like, I'll just run over to Lowe's. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And And I don't know why Lowe's doesn't include that more in the advertising. 
I'm being honest. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I'm going to email their marketing team. <laughs> you could get a job on it. Oh. Yeah, there's so much meticulous care that goes into temporarily staving off what is the natural decay process. And even then, funeral directors are trying to do what they can to preserve a body uh, once it goes into the ground. And we're going to talk about that more right after a word from some of our sponsors. If you've ever shopped for electric bikes, you probably needed to sit down when you saw the price tags. At least for me, that's one of the main reasons I never purchased one. But thankfully, electric e-bikes cost way less than other e-bikes and without skimping on quality or features. They are an awesome price and they fold in half for easy storage and come fully assembled with free shipping. Plus, you can customize your e-bike to your liking. I have one and I absolutely love it. I use it for simple errands, so I've taken it to the post office. I have taken it to get dinner and it just folds up so easily. Even just knowing that when I store it at home, I can like fold it up and tuck it away. And I've never done it, but knowing that if I could take it in my car with me, I could and go bike somewhere, you know, that I wouldn't necessarily go to. Yeah, nice. Mm -hmm. The electric e-bike's mission is simple. Make everyday e-biking adventures accessible to the masses. Surprisingly affordable and the best bang for your buck in the e-bike industry. So hop on and ride with electric e-bikes. Go to electricebikes.com and get $100 off any e-bike purchase. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. Crime Scene Queens is a new comedic true crime podcast from our friends at Q Code. Hosts and forensic experts Laura and Shelley are ready to address fallacies and give you a look behind the curtain of what it's really like working as a CSI. Oh, behind the scenes there. Uh Instead of focusing on the who, this show dives into the actual science behind our true crime obsession. Expect unfiltered, fact-based banters about stories from the field as Laura and Shelley debunk what TV has taught us about forensics. I love this because it's the real thing, not what the movie magic is telling you. It's it's from the actual experts. Follow Crime Scene Queens on your favorite podcast player today to equip yourself with little known forensic facts to impress or gross out your friends and to curb the CSI effect. Ouch, the sun is burning my eyes. Elise, help. Jessica, you need a pair of Shady Ray's sunglasses. Shady Rays is an independent sunglass company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear polarized lenses for outdoor adventures. They also provide the most insane protection in all of eyewear. And Jess, if you lose or break a pair, it's wild. They will just send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Oh, thank God, because I break my sunglasses all the time. I lose mine. (laughs) But they also provide 10 meals to fight hunger in America with every order and have donated over 20 million meals to date, which I love. And if you don't love them, exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. Their team always has your back. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code 30MM, that's 30MM, for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. And now back to the show. 
So the funeral industry, to an extent, is very much capitalizing on stigmas, not just during the viewing and wake process, but also after a body goes into the ground. Right, Jess? Mm -hmm. There's this myth sold to the public that an airtight vacuum sealed casket is the ideal casket. This feature is oversold to the public as well as the idea that remains should be protected from outside elements entering. This is all great in theory. It sounds lovely, wonderful. You know, you preserve this body, you go to the trouble Mm -hmm. of embalming it, and now you want it to be beautifully in its coffin forever, (laughs) undisturbed from the elements. But that is not the case because decay happens. It's unavoidable. And if you listen to our older episode covering exploding casket syndrome, you know that this is a recipe for something really, really awful and very gross. Yeah. And the, you know, our body, we're dead. The body's dead. So it just, that's just what happens yeah. when bodies die as much as like we want to. And I, I get it. Trust me. I get it because if anybody super close to me would die, I'd want to do everything. But I, I think it's also just us as humans having to like understand death. And just, oh yes. You and know, in, in moments of grief, you know, telling the uh, funeral director, telling someone like, well, what we're going to do everything to make sure that your, your mother or father's body is is taken care of. It's not going to get, you know, a wild animal's not going to get into that casket or dirt's not going to get in there. And probably someone in their moment of grief is like, oh, okay, yes. But it's going to happen. It's inevitable. It is. And and honestly, like, I don't know if every, you know, morgue is the same, but I've definitely seen pictures online where there are multiple bodies and it looks like they're like on shelves or something against a wall, just in a room in the frozen room. It's just, you know, that's, yeah, that's not ideal. I'm sure you probably want like your person to have their own room to themselves, but it's just not. Yeah. But the whole process keeps of a curtain between us and it. So that way it can give us this impression of like your loved one's body is being handled with the utmost care. Yeah. I'm sure it is, but, but in, yeah, in the case of exploding casket syndrome, this is a doozy and mm-hmm. it all comes down to the, well, you need, you need caskets to be sealed, this idea, right? When yeah. the process defies that, right, Jess? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Human remains naturally emit gases during the postmortem decomposition phase. So when a body is placed inside a vacuum sealed casket, decomposition gases can no longer escape. Yeah. And this creates issues like we've talked about before. There's an aggressive amount of pressure. And as that pressure increases, the casket becomes like a balloon that's overfilled with air and can't sustain it. And so like explosion is a bit of a, it's an exaggerated term because the body's not really exploding. (laughs) The casket's (laughs) not really exploding like you think from an action movie, but the pressure and gases have to be released in some way. And it does. As a corpse, we'll start to spill out unpleasant fluids, chunky brown mush, and more gases. The casket might even pop open from all the pressure. And then this body sludge starts to seep out of the casket. And mausoleum owners and funeral directors, they know. They know that you need this proper ventilation, especially in above-ground crypts, Mm -hmm. to avoid this. But again, like the public has been fed all these stigmas that conflict with with what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Yes, a mausoleum director would know that propping the lid open on fresh caskets would actually prevent these issues from happening. But if a family came to visit the crypt and discovered this, they would probably freak out and there would be a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. Totally understand. Yes, (laughs) yeah. You know? 
Yeah. So like mausoleums to counter this, they have these like drainage pipes in the back of the individual crypts where like all this stuff can like discreetly drain out behind the caskets. But yeah, the public's been convinced that you want like these airtight seals like Tupperware, but it's a recipe (laughs) for issues. And it definitely plays upon our discomfort with death or like, you know, our inclination to turn a blind eye to death. Making a really strong case for cremation here. Yes, which does not come without its own challenges. Yeah, I think I did. I tell you that I don't know why. I mean, I know that you are absolutely a morbid person, but I've definitely had my fair share of just like, again, my curiosity takes the best of me where I like watched a bunch of cremation videos about like how it really happens. And and, and I watched this whole entire like animated video. <laughs> um, I'm not kidding, Elise, like this animated video on a funeral website where, because wow. um, they're like telling you the process there. It was a very, I think maybe very transparent um, yeah. place, but no, I watched this whole animation and I had no idea. I literally thought the body also went, it was just the body, but they put the casket in there too. So like the ashes are a mixture of everything. I literally like, I- did not know that. I know we'll get into it, but like, did not know that when I was just watching this animation. <laughs> oh. Well, then you, then this is your section here. I love um, it. Uh, because you must know all about cremation chambers, sometimes <laughs> called ovens or retorts. I didn't know they were called retorts, but they are industrial furnaces designed to produce such a high level of heat that it will essentially vaporize a body. And then also, like I was just saying, um, whatever the body is inside that's put in the chamber, be it the casket box or shroud, also goes in. Yep. Which, side note, uh, this is a situation where if you're doing a viewing before a cremation, you probably want to opt for a rental casket, which, yeah, I didn't really know, but rental caskets are a thing. Me uh, neither. You just rent one. Yeah. Uh, but back to what else is put inside the retort. Take it away, Jess. Okay. Gold teeth melt. Higher carat golds like 24 carats might withstand it, but purity levels like 18 carats or 14 carats have lower melting points around like 1600 to 1700 Fahrenheit, which melt right up to the chamber's 1800 degree max heat. Most funeral homes won't remove gold teeth. They're not worth as much as you might think. (laughs) That is the tooth, Jess. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of, I've heard these stories of people going to funeral directors and demanding that they get their, you know, loved ones gold teeth taken out. And they're like, it's really not worth that much for all the trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Breast implants also melt, but unlike fake teeth, fake boobs somehow have more staying power. There's a likelihood they'll melt though and then just leave this like gelatinous goo at the bottom of the oven. The (laughs) Cremation Association of North America has this like joking motto of like, don't worry about it. We'll scrape the goo. Oh my God, Elise, this, that's, God, that's so gross. It just, it just also tells you a lot about like breast implants and the stuff that we're putting in our bodies. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, Jessica and I specifically, audio listeners, we've got just giant... (laughs) giant fake one. <laughs> I just remember that scene in Arizona Circle. <laughs> yeah. I do I do hope that like people listen to this podcast and don't ever see us but build a really distorted perspective of how we look. <laughs> so yeah, they're like we'll take care of the we'll take care of the breast implants. Don't worry. Love it. And the goo, all the goo. Mm-hmm. But the same can't be said for pacemakers, which absolutely need to be removed before somebody is cremated. Since most pacemakers operate via lithium or iodine PVP energy source, high temperatures cause a gas to emit due to the iodine, which then can cause the pacemaker to 
combust. Mm -hmm. The risk of explosion is a very serious danger to the crematorium operator and can also cause just a ton of damage to the retort. So they got to go. Metal hip and knee replacements are good to go in the oven. God. Yeah, just go in the oven. Um, are good to go in the oven and will generally withstand the heat, save some wear and tear. But families can also ask for them back. Most do not. So they used to be thrown out. But now there are recycling programs across places like Europe where Uncle Bob's hip might be recycled into like a new road sign or even car parts or other things. Hey, I'm all for recycling. This is great. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, why not? But disposal poses other challenges and issues when it comes to chemicals and fluids. And so there are a lot of heavy-duty disinfectants that you have to use in cleaning funeral home apparatuses and in the in medical labs and just in terms of like embalming a body. Formaldehyde is the most commonly used and is toxic whether through on-skin contact or inhalation. Lab technicians, mortuary workers, and formaldehyde producers are among those routinely exposed to formaldehyde in excessive and dangerous ways. And while, you know, the short-term effects can include coughing, nausea, nose, and eye irritation, the long-term effects are incredibly damaging and potentially deadly. Yeah, and very, we're li- we're learning a lot about how funeral home workers are, uh, at risk here. The International Agency for Research on Cancer classifies formaldehyde as a group one carcinogen, and the National Cancer Institute has found a link between occupational and environmental exposure to formaldehyde and leukemia diagnoses. And it really doesn't end there, as a lot of toxicology research groups worldwide are also highlighting these same findings. Mm -hmm. Individuals who endured these Intimate and high levels of exposure are most at risk. However, there's cause to be concerned for a greater population and environment. Yeah, there's no special method or waste disposal for chemicals and bodily fluids with the embalming process. It all just goes right into the main sewer. And one embalming can generate up to 120 gallons of quote-unquote funeral waste. It's impossible to avoid such overwhelming red flags, so much so that the National Funeral Directors Association has taken notice, acknowledging the indisputable health risks of formaldehyde use. Yeah, so there's this big push now for funeral homes to use less toxic preservation products. And we're learning time and time again, though, history never looks at its uh, mistakes and corrects them. Mm -hmm. Billion-dollar industries are unwilling to make changes that might undercut their bottom line, regardless of the social costs or environmental costs or human costs. Elise, we've been over this. It's all about money and greed. We know this. Uh, The Benjamins. (laughs) The Benjamins. In addition to these physical health dangers, funeral directors are also confronted with challenges to their mental health, given the sensitive and, let's face it, flat-out, existentially depressing nature of their work. Yeah, it's a full-time job navigating the grief of other people, especially strangers. And there's a great deal of psychosocial hazards and kind of PTSD in play for funeral directors. You're comforting families dealing with extremely horrible scenarios. It's not an easy job. Mm -hmm. And like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, there are tons of posts online where curious, you know, commenters ask funeral home workers for their stories. Mm -hmm. And we can't speak to the truthfulness of these, (laughs) the validity, Mm -hmm. but we pulled a few of the more interesting ones just to kind of tell and talk through here. Mm -hmm. 
because yes, again, like it's, it's tough to know sometimes if these are specific situations or exaggerated, mm-hmm. but these are yeah. broken up to like some are longer, some are just like a couple sentences, but first one here, mm-hmm. um, one of my best quote, one of my best friends works in a funeral home. Y'all would be surprised by how many people require to be buried with spandex or shapewear on. This is from ATX art. I never would have thought that would Me be neither. a thing. It's, it's, we don't think about these or I've never thought about those things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because like if it's an open casket, even so, like you're only seeing half the body. Absolutely. Another story here. I dated a guy once who worked at a funeral home. He told me a story about a gnat problem an hour before an open casket funeral. They couldn't get rid of the bugs flying around the body. So he had to get one of those repellent candles and lit it behind the casket so no one would see it. They also sprayed the body from head to toe with repellent. That was Shell's Renee. Jess, these stories are all like, like to me, read as like things you would do in like film production. That <laughs> You're like, yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. You're like, we wanted to do this thing, but it wasn't working. So we had to do this other weird work around. (laughs) But also I'm wondering in this specific case, like if those attending, you know, would spell, would smell all of the repellent, like if everything, you know, right. But I feel like you would. Yeah. Anyway, uh, next story we have here. I was in the prep room during an embalming where the woman had breast implants. The volume of embalming fluid must have been too much because one of her implants burst. The embalmer ended up stuffing cotton balls in the breast to fill it back up. This is from H-E-I Hegrihai. Hopefully I got that right. Yeah, it sounds like breast implants in this embalming process is just just a mess. Yeah, they're big trouble. Yeah, big trouble. <laughs> but I like it's it's like, you know, using whatever you can mm-hmm. to make this stuff You're right. Work. It literally li- is like art department on a film set. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This next story is from someone whose friend worked in a funeral home and their friend was picking them up from uh, the station one day. Apparently he was working overtime that day because when I opened the passenger door, there was an urn on the passenger seat. I wasn't really sure how to react. So I paused He laughed, picked up the urn and said, that's just Mrs. Olson. I have to drop her off on the way home. Once I was in the car, he put her in my lap with the words, don't worry, she won't bite. I sat there in silence with the ashes of an unknown old lady in my lap. And he was acting like that happened all the time. Weirdest car ride ever from user uh, intruder alert with uh, some threes and fours for leet spelling. (laughs) I, I knew someone that she worked uh, transporting remains to and from funeral homes and it really like, like cremated remains. And it really just kind of became common mm-hmm, place mm-hmm. for her. Like it was, you know, an everyday thing. Have you ever picked her brain? I've never, I've wanted to like have, it's a friend of a friend sort of situation. And, you know, you talk mm-hmm. kind of in passing at parties and I've always wanted to kind of get more of the details and specifics. Oh, man, I love that. Yeah. Um, another story here. Walked into the dressing room, room where we do makeup and put on clothes, et cetera, before the public funeral of an open casket. And we had an intern that was working for the summer. Walked in on her holding some dead guy's huge schlong penis up next to her, uh, up next to her can of Coca-Cola. I looked at her like, what the fuck are you doing? She then says, Look at this thing. I have never seen one so thick. While literally comparing the girth of this dead guy's dick to her can of Coke, like millimeters from touching them together. I yell at her to leave and to take her break since 
I'm so taken back. She walks out while slipping her Coke, while sipping her Coke like she did nothing wrong. This name was deleted. (laughs) (laughs) Is this a true story? This might be someone just trolling. But I also love the word schlong. Uh, That was my favorite part of the story. Correct. And I bet that's probably the technical term used in the funeral industry. But like we were just talking about, you know, you're talking about your friend, like it's just common practice. Like it gets to a point where even though this is very disrespectful, I told if this story is true, it's very disrespectful that it just becomes like just you're at work. You're just fucking around at work. But to have that kind of blase attitude about a dead guy's schlong and you're just an intern? No, I get it. I get it. I 100% get it. (laughs) Very, very true. Maybe this intern was just someone special. She had some BDE energy. There you go. This intern. Um, But yeah, there is a much bigger discussion to be had regarding the future of the funeral industry at large because the industry is actually in decline. And there are a lot of reasons for this. And that's a topic for another mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. But for now, that's our episode for this week. I loved it. I love it. What was your biggest takeaway, Jess? Mine was, I, I guess, like, I'm always fascinated by the, like, you kind of, the the, crema, the crematory yeah. stuff, like, the breast implants and pacemakers. I think that was the biggest thing from le- learning that, because I do know a couple of people that have... Um, breast implants. And now I worry for them. Granted, I don't know how they would like to be, um, preserved or, or buried or how they want to go out in that way. But if they are cremated, um, maybe, maybe we just take them out before they go in. I don't know. But yeah, that was a really very interesting, uh, discovery of this episode. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I, I, um, do you think that your friends that like have breast implants, like they know that this is a thing? No, the person I'm specifically thinking of, absolutely not. I don't think she has given much thought to um, anything like this. So I'm not sure. But but even even though I already knew about the the casket going into with being cremated and everything, it is interesting because like when you have the ashes of of a you know a loved one, um I really wish that they were just of the body, but knowing that it's just a mixture of like different materials and stuff, it doesn't make it um, as, I don't know, meaningful or something like when I'm touching them, not that I'm like touching them specifically or they're in the bag or the urn or whatever. It's like, yeah, but there's also like some wood in there, some plastic, you know, I don't know. That's weird yeah, to me. Now that I think kind of taints my ashes collection. Exactly. Exactly. Knowing. (laughs) Yes. Um, yeah, I don't Uh, know. Well, that's our show for this week. And next week, I think we're covering CTE. Yes. Yes. CTE. That one is going to bury, is going to be a very somber, somber episode. I know we joked a lot in, um, in this episode, I don't know if we'll be doing the same in the next one. So, but it's going to be very, very informative and very, very fascinating to dive into for sure. So looking forward to it. Yeah. If you're catching up on the show now, please go back and listen to our older episodes. They're all evergreen. Mm -hmm. So topics that you can listen to at any time by design and follow us on social media at Jessica Vasami, at Elise Willems, at 30 Morbid Minutes. No, yeah. And um, we are, you know, we've been on TikTok for a while, but we're just really starting to play around with TikTok recently. And um, we have some really, really fun, bite-sized, snackable um, infotainment TikToks on our TikTok, which is at 30 Morbid Minutes. Uh, So go check those out. Share them with your friends because they're 
very informative. Well, that's our episode. Thanks, guys, and we will see you next week. See you then. Bye, sickos.